Welcome to CU Anschutz 360, a podcast about the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. We feature faculty, staff, and students and their interesting and innovative work. I'm Deb Milani, the science writer in the Office of Communications. Today I'm talking with Dr. Robin Gabriels, licensed psychologist and founder of the Neuropsychiatric Special Care Program at Children's Hospital Colorado. Dr. Gabriels is an autism and human-animal interaction researcher and professor in our Department of Psychiatry. She joins us today, just as April's Autism Awareness Month comes to an end, to share advice on caring for children with autism during the COVID-19 crisis. Good morning, Dr. Gabriels. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. COVID-19 has affected many children by creating new dynamics that are difficult for young minds to comprehend, like, why can't I see grandma? Why can't I go to school? These disruptions in normal schedules can be even more trying for children with autism. Can you talk about how and why that is? Sure. So children with autism have social communication and behavior impairments, and they also have some very unique learning styles that make them particularly susceptible to to experiencing stress and anxiety resulting from, you know, major shifts in their daily routines like what's happening right now with COVID-19. For example, you know, they tend to have a hard time with executive functioning skills, which are things like being able to be flexible or plan and organize, process information, start tasks on their own uh, without prompting and uh, being able to manage their emotions. And these are skills that are needed for a person to adapt well to adversity or change like what's happening right now. In other words, to be resilient. However, those those skills of resilience um, and being able to you know, plan and organize and um, be flexible don't come naturally for this population. And they're very, they require a lot of specialized teaching opportunities, as well as a lot of external structure from a lot of different sources like caregivers, school providers, therapists, and even in-home therapists and community activities. And one of the biggest shifts that's that's happened with for kids with autism during this time is that their external school routine has stopped. So their caregivers have um, had to think about how they're going to uh, replace that structure that was in place for a majority of the child's day. You know, and for some kids, that was a very tight schedule of activities, activities and in-home providers, um, which of course is, you know, hard to do when we're all staying at home in our own homes. So this can be really tough on caregivers to provide that high degree of structure that these kids need to acquire adaptive life skills. Yeah, that does sound tough. What about the online school itself? Many parents and students are struggling with that. What are your patient families with autism reporting? Well, I've heard a few things from parents and teens with autism that it's really hard to adjust to the fact that many teachers are giving tons of extra work without giving a lot of guidance or rationale. And it's also you know, hard to adjust to the change of what does it mean to do school at home? Um, that's just a, a new concept for these kids. And, and some caregivers are saying that even just that idea of having to do school at home versus, you know, what they're used to, which is homework, it's hard for them to kind of wrap their brain around and think about, well, why am I doing this extra work when usually my homework is shorter? So as I said, you know, kids with autism have a hard time with change. They also take things very literally. And that's a good example of that. But 
Unfortunately, that causes these kids to get pretty frustrated with changes that aren't thoroughly explained or when expectations don't make sense or they don't have a logical rationale or endpoint, which is, I think, one of the problems with just loading on a lot of schoolwork to do, but without a real rationale. But on the positive side, kids with autism are also very visual learners. And some parents are saying their kids are tolerating doing schoolwork much better because the online work is visually engaging. But the tricky thing is that, is that if they're not supervised, many of these kids might wander away from the schoolwork, the online schoolwork into other internet sites, um, including like YouTube or video games. And, you know, for kids with autism, life on the computer can be definitely much more appealing than real world activities because it's visual and very visual and it's, it's more, you know, concrete, understandable at times. And the research on electronic use in this population has indicated that compared to their same age peers, kids with autism tend to spend excessively more time playing video games. And this, along with having unlimited access to video gaming, predicts their engagement in oppositional behaviors. So, you know, it's really important for caregivers to monitor and limit their internet video use. Okay. Um, so right now, um, resilience is kind of the word of the day. Can you can you talk about why being resilient can be more difficult when living with autism? Sure. So I, the idea of resilience is especially important right now during these tough times, and it requires the ability to be flexible and adapt to adversity and learn from challenges and challenging situations. But um, as I said before, the autism learning styles I mentioned are kind of the opposite of what resilience is. And these behaviors don't come easy to kids with autism. They have to be taught resilience skills like um, how to understand their emotions, what their triggers are, what's setting them off. You know, many times I hear parents say, you know, I, I have no idea why they're having a tantrum. It just seemed to come out of nowhere. And so teaching kids to, to understand their early warning signals, their thoughts, their body reactions and emotions, as, as well as what their triggers are, helping them, um, you know, kind of organize triggers and emotions from mild to severe on a like a visual motion rating scale is sometimes helpful. And then practicing coping skills, using role play to help them practice, you know, maybe taking space or asking for help. But other resilient skills are um, things like considering the facts of the situation, um, as well as what they can learn from their mistakes. Some of these kids are, you know, just terrified by making a mistake. But once they realize that mistakes really are helpful um, and, and sort of th learn to think about it a different way, that can really help them move forward and not get stuck. And one kind of concrete way of, of showing them alternative strategies or things they can do is using like maybe drawing a roadmap on, on paper to review you know, like at the bottom of that, that roadmap, what the triggering event or the situation was. And then there's a fork in the road and it can take two paths to the right and to the left that can be different response choices, maybe some positive response or some negative response, depending on the road and then their positive or negative outcomes that it can lead to. And that that's really helpful to give them the, like the bird's eye view of situations and how they can, you know, do something different and what they can do. That's that's really useful information. Do, are there any other strategies parents can use to encourage resilience? Sure. Encouraging positive thinking is important. Um, and that can be as simple as just finding a time to sit down with your child every day, uh, like after dinner to review, you know, three things the child is thankful for, did well that day. And, you know, they can turn it into a, a back and forth, uh, you know, turn taking thing where they the child thinks of one thing and the parent thinks of one thing for the about the child and then they do one together. But then, you know, if they write those things down, they can not only help encourage the positive thoughts 
during stressful times, but the child can also review them later when they are stressed and remember the, the, the positive things um, during that time. As I said a little bit before, the another strategy is help them think of what they can do because these kids tend to get stuck and feel stuck and they have a hard time generating new ideas. So they may need some suggestions or maybe even just a menu of things, they, of alternative things they can do when they can't do what they want. And um, and definitely doing physical exercise is important for our all of our well-being, but um, but it's hard for kids with autism. They tend to be pretty sedentary. And like I said, they tend to want to watch, look at some videos and the visual things. And um, But taking a brief, brief walk, um, you know, for even for 15 minutes can be added to their daily schedule. And then before they can move on to another preferred activity, so that could be motivating for them to just, just put it in their schedule so they get used to it. They love routines and that's the, the benefit of schedules for this group. Um, but then strategically putting it in there where, where there's, you know, a less preferred like walking and then a preferred. Yeah. That's good advice for all of us right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think that um, um, a lot of us um, are finding our pets particularly comforting as we lose other in-person social connections. Why is that? And could pets be a good coping me- mechanism for kids with autism? Absolutely. Human animal companionship and human animal interaction researcher research is, is now, um, is getting a lot more um, attention and the outcomes are showing very positive social and emotional outcomes for kids with autism. I've done definitely done research, but also anecdotally, I have included our hospital therapy dog in sessions with kids uh, with autism and typically they have high levels of anxiety. Um, and it, it's really amazing just even at, after the first or within the first session, kids are reporting feeling calmer. They're looking, their behaviors are calmer and more relaxed, their body posture and calmer voice and more articulate. That's really, that's really awesome. Um, okay. Well, you were supposed to be launching uh, recruitment right now for a follow-up study on the impacts of therapeutic horseback riding in children with autism. Is that still happening? Or has COVID kind of pulled back on the <laughs> pulled back on the reins for us, so to speak? Yes. Yeah, we're. I love that. There, um, we're actually we're still recruiting. Uh, we're you know we're just starting this sort of study startup things, um, but we are starting to recruit participants with autism, and and also they they have to be kids with autism with co-occurring psychiatric diagnoses, kids who tend to be fairly dysregulated, and this is a follow-up study for our therapeutic horseback riding work. It's a, it's, this one's going to be a five-year multi-site study, both at Colorado and Maine, to understand why therapeutic horseback riding has significant benefits in behavior, social, and communication skills for this population in our previous large randomized trial. When do you see it actually taking off? It's pretty undefined right now. We're still going to need to go with what, uh, what we're allowed to do. And, um, and certainly this study will involve a lot of engagement and close proximity to others and, and touching objects in common and using facial expressions to communicate. So, you know, my, my anticipation is that, you know, when uh, there is in particular a vaccine uh, identified, and hopefully that would be in the winter that we can start, you know, like a spring group or something like that. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, can you, could you end with some final words of wisdom for parents with children with autism as we move forward into these uncertain times? You know, it is uncertain. And um, with all this restricted access to our fast paced, multitasking social world that, you know, we can actually learn at this time that, you know, something that kids with autism already value. They definitely value a slower pace and a narrow focus on each task at a time because this promotes in them a calm 
kind of mindful manner. And I think that holds true for, I mean, maybe some people have already experienced that, that slower pace. It's definitely been a lot calmer for them too. Yep. That's advice we can all use. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Gabriel, for your time and insights today. We appreciate both. So have a great day. Thank you. You too. CU Anschutz 360 is produced by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Story editing and production by Deb Milani and Chris Casey. Mix and tech production by Kelsey Peters and Matt Hastings. Digital design by Sarah Adams and Jenny Merchant. A special thank you to our guest this week, Dr. Robin Gabriels. You can read more about her therapeutic horseback riding research and the other latest stories and breakthroughs on our campus at news.cuanschutz.edu. This is... See you Anschutz 360.